episode 14 of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, we catch up with Jake Volink. You may recognize the name from Jake's many appearances on Midwest Whitetail's Great Lakes Regional Show. Jake is one of those guys who flies a bit under the radar, but is an absolute killer. Jake has taken several great bucks in his highly pressured home state of Michigan, and he has also found consistent success on his archery deer hunts in Wyoming. In today's podcast, Jake and I discuss his early season tactics in the West, early season tactics in Michigan, lessons learned from filming as a cameraman and as a self-filmer. We also discuss social media, haters on social media, and burnout. There are a lot of great takeaways from today's episode, and I really enjoyed my conversation with Jake. Jake and I actually recorded this podcast about two weeks ago in late August. Today is September 10th, and since this recording, Jake actually shot a great early season buck in Wyoming, so congrats, Jake. Awesome buck. I'd also like to take a quick moment to thank everyone who has been tuning into these podcasts. The downloads are steadily increasing, and the YouTube subscriber count is ticking up as well. If you haven't already subscribed and you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss out on the latest episodes. I'm trying to get on a more regular podcast release schedule, but with hunting season in full swing, I'm not quite ready to commit to a regular release date just yet. Today's podcast is brought to you by Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com. Visit the Stealth Outdoors store to outfit your mobile hunting setup with some silencing gear. Many states' archery season openers are just around the corner, and this is going to be your last chance to upgrade your mobile hunting setup before the opener. There's not a better product on the market for eliminating unwanted noise from all your gear. Stealth Outdoors manufactures an incredibly durable product for a great value. Designed from the ground up with a mobile hunter in mind, Stealth Outdoors manufactures climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing needs. Again, head on over to www.stealthoutdoors.com to place an order today. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Backwoods Mobile Gear at www.backwoodsmobilegear.com. Backwoods Mobile Gear produces an array of products to completely customize your mobile hunting setup. Backwoods Mobile Gear's product line includes climbing aiders like their multi-step aider and versa aider. Climb higher using the same amount of climbing sticks with climbing aiders at a fraction of the weight of an additional climbing stick. Backwoods Mobile Gear also offers a variety of AM steel rope solutions from daisy chains for climbing sticks to AM steel gear hangers. Replace those bulky straps and hunt-ruining metal cam buckles with buckleless and lightweight AM steel products from Backwoods Mobile Gear. Check out Backwoods Mobile Gear at www.backwoodsmobilegear.com if you want your setup to be lighter, to take you higher, and to keep your gear tighter. What do you get when you combine a prototype machinist who also happens to be a big buck serial killer named Dan Infault with state-of-the-art manufacturing techniques, the highest quality materials, and innovative designs that have been engineered, field-tested, and refined to perfection by a group of the best mobile hunters on the planet? You get huntingbeastgear.com www.huntingbeastgear.com delivers cutting-edge products including beast gear climbing sticks with weight reduction holes designed to deliver incredible durability in a lightweight stick. Beast gear climbing sticks also feature non-staggered inline stacking and double steps all in a 2.2 pound package including the fastening strap. And new for the 2021 season, huntingbeastgear.com has released the game-changing beast gear hang-on tree stand. Designed from the ground up to be the ultimate hang-on solution, with four years of prototyping, testing, and refinement, the Beast Gear Stand features a 16-inch wide by 29-inch long platform, and it comes in at an incredible 6.8 pounds without compromising strength or durability. 
The Beast Gear stand is finished with a durable anodized coating and features grade 8 hardware, high-quality Delrin washers, Beast buttons, and adjustment knobs. For more details and to place your order, head on over to www.huntingbeastgear.com today. Now, on to the podcast. Hey, Jake, thanks for coming on today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I had a busy, busy work day, but uh, just getting set down now, so it should be a good night. Hey, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me on the podcast. You're a guy that I took notice of on the hunting beast is one of those guys that was consistently getting it done, but flying a bit under the radar. And that's probably because you seem like a real humble guy and, and you weren't posting a whole lot. So I want to get started today by asking you two simple questions. And the first one is how old are you? I am 34 years old. And the second one, and I do this mostly for the audience is how many bucks have you shot to date? Oh, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have the exact number, but I have, um, I think, uh, we're up to 18 shoulder mounts, maybe on the house. A few of those are my wife's. And then, yeah, a lot of, uh, we do plaque mounts and European mounts. I would imagine I'm <clears throat> somewhere around, 35 bucks maybe for yeah, somewhere in there. I would think something like that. I'm not real sure. Yeah. Well, one, that's uh that's good that that number doesn't come to the top of your mind. I think, like I said, shows you're a humble guy. <laughs> and two, the reason I ask that is for people that aren't familiar with you, you know, you're not probably a household name, like a Dan Infault or John Eberhart. And they might be wondering who the heck is this guy and why should I listen to him? But from what I've seen online and what you just said there, you're getting it done consistently on good bucks and in multiple states. So I'm excited to have you on today and, and talk uh, some of your experience and tactics. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get started just a little more background. Tell me a little about yourself, where you're living, what state and how'd you get started in hunting and how long have you been hunting? I live in, in West Michigan. That's just the general term of it, but it's near Grand Rapids. And, um, I've basically lived here my whole life, just grew up down the road of five miles from where I <clears throat> built my house now. And so, uh, yeah, uh, my dad started me into hunting when I was uh, really young for just like, uh, plinking around the house with BB guns and 22s and things. And then, uh, in Michigan at the time, I was allowed to start bow hunting when I was 12. And so I, I did that and uh started gun hunting when they allowed at age 14 and, and that's when i shot my first deer when i was 14 so i've been hunting i've, I've been hunting like birds and rabbits since i was probably eight years old and 34 now so and uh yeah and my dad um kind of got me into it he was the <clears throat> the biggest uh um kind of influence of my early hunting he's a he's a big hunter but he doesn't really do much out of state or anything it's kind of just on the, the few properties we have permission around here where we where we hunted until i got old enough where where i started going on my uh, out of state with with friends and things like that okay no great appreciate the background there and so we talked the other night just had a little brief conversation about some of the things that we we're going to talk about on the podcast today. And one of the things that you brought up and I want to get this, uh, early on in the podcast was 
You told me a story about a mule deer that you shot that made you a bit unpopular. And I think one of the one of the worst things that we can do as hunters is trash on some other guy's hunt or his trophy or his experience. So I'd like you to tell the story of that hunt, how you felt uh, during that hunt, and then how people reacted afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it was actually just last year, so it's a current hunt. Uh, and uh, uh, I did get on a pretty good sized deer earlier in that day. It was still early in the hunt. I think it was only our maybe our second day. But uh, I had never shot a mule deer. I was really hoping to shoot one out west that year, and uh, got on a nice buck earlier. And the stalk just didn't work out. He ended up bedding down and we didn't see him and it got up to golf but uh later on that evening we set up in a tree stand over a water hole and uh had a had a buck come running into the water and i drew as it was getting downwind to me and i could just see it was like a, a tall buck a tall mule deer buck so i shot it and uh and i i could see blood coming out right away i knew i I had killed it at the time and, uh, it was a, it's just a, like a tall two by two tall four point mule deer. And, uh, I was, we were all excited. It was a bunch of, of buddies that, that really don't, uh, I mean, it's not, uh, by any means, any kind of size, you know, uh, going after size with these buddies. It was all about having a good time and having an adventure. So we were all, I think most of my buddies were more, excited than i was and i and i was excited it was it was a fun deal um but yeah just uh just the amount of of feedback i got when i got back home and and a lot of you know just negative comments that basically you hear through other people no one says anything directly to you it's just it just surprises me how much people care about what other people shoot what other people what other hunters you know, seeing their mind as, as a, a trophy or something that they want to take and it suits them, but yet, you know, another person, they don't, they don't care for it or whatever. They think, you know, you could have waited or whatever and it affects them. And so they have to mention it to other people. So that's, that's kind of the gist of that story. It just, it just, uh, it kind of makes me firm and, even more firm in my, you know, feelings of shoot, shoot what you want. You know, I, I get like growing big deer too. I, I'm, I try to shoot four on one side or whatever around here. I can try to pass a lot of smaller deer, but, but I'm not going to dig on someone that does. And again, I may have in the past too, you know, where it's like, well, I shot that. And then, yeah, everyone does it. And then you think about it and you're like, now, I mean, it's their tag you know that's how i feel well it's your tag it, it you you should you know ultimately decide whatever suits you is is what you could uh what you could chew you know yeah i couldn't agree more and we've got a real similar first mule deer with a bow story i shot a two-year-old mule deer and it was the first mule deer i'd ever shot with a bow i'd shot one with a rifle previously but it was a young deer. I knew it was a young deer, but I was hunting on the ground. I didn't have a blind or anything, and it came in, and and uh, I was kind of still hunting through a, a cottonwood bottom, and ended up shooting it at eight yards. And it was one of the more fun hunts that I've ever had, and kind of got some of the same stuff. Like 
you're in Montana now. Why'd you shoot that little deer? And it's like, well, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so yeah, I just yeah. want to bring up the point, and I know a lot of people are listening, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's a lot more to a hunt than inches of antler. And I think if, if we start heading down that path as hunters, we're, we're in for a lot of disappointment. So that's my soapbox for this topic. I just right, like to, yeah, yeah, I'd like to encourage everyone that's listening to to do two things for me this fall. The first is have fun, and the second is to keep your social media comments positive and especially for younger hunters right and man there's nothing that drives me crazier than to see some grown man trashing on some 12 14 16 year old kids deer like that drives me nuts yeah yeah i i agree you know and then also you get the people that that do if they do shoot a uh, a smaller deer they'll they'll say you know you get the wow that's just a stupid, whatever, stupid spike, stupid six point or whatever. And I, that, that kind of irritates me too, because I think you should shoot what makes you happy, you know? Yeah. At, if you're, if you're saying the deer is a scrub or whatever, you're not happy with it. Well, then you probably should have let it go if you're not happy with it, you know? But if you're internally happy with it, well, there you go. You just don't have to call it you know sure you mean your own deer you know that 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 does kind of irritate me you know just if i because you do hear that every now and again where where they'll they'll shoot a deer and you know just kind of trash talk their own deer but i i I assume that's mostly because they don't want to admit you know that they shot a deer that you know is is the public standard is not up to that you know and they they're trying to kind of make up for it i guess whatever yeah, absolutely. And I'd speculate a lot of that comes from what we just talked about. They're they're scared of people trashing on them, so it's like, well, if I trash on my own deer, then nobody else will. Yeah, yeah, get out in front of that. <laughs> yeah, which is too bad. So, speaking of of kids, talk to me about your early years hunting, and let's say from the time you started, what sounds like let's talk deer. You were twelve years old, and talk to me about some of your experiences then, up till whatever time you started chasing bigger bucks and kind of cut it off there. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> my first year, I hunted real hard and real close to my my parents' house. Actually, like close enough, I could pretty much watch what they were watching on TV if they had it on. You know, <laughs> only a few, you know, probably sixty yards behind the back uh, back of my parents' grass were cut off into the woods. So it was. I, I hunted hard. I hunted almost every day I could. I've seen two deer that year, a doe and then a tight rack block, and I missed them both, you know, just coming in, shooting what I shouldn't be shooting, you know, you don't know. Like, sure. I look back on it, and it is so much that you don't know in your first couple of years <laughs> when you're 12 or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I wanted to replace those for, you know, I still remember them like it was yesterday. That was a long time ago. But then... uh when I was 13, I did the same kind of thing. Only had a couple opportunities that I didn't, uh, yeah, smaller, smaller deer that I did not uh, capitalize on. I think I missed one when I was 13. Um, 14, I shot uh, my first buck. It was a three-point with uh, a rifle, and that was in, like, northern Michigan. We were at our cabin for opening weekend, and uh, my dad shot, um, shot a buck on opening day. My brother shot a buck opening night and then i shot that buck on the second morning of season and so we had three deer on the pole up there which was really cool um that was pretty memorable 
and then the the next year after that, I was 15. I shot my first buck with a bow, and that was a pretty nice nine point for especially for the time, and then for the area that was it was nice. And and I double along that real good blood trail. And we my my dad had, had been hunting close to me, and he heard a crash, so he he kind of knew what was going on. But I didn't, you know, I was still like I think I you know it looked perfect right on the front shoulder. But once we got on that blood trail, it was red carpet right to it it was that was kind of probably what hooked me the most sure we're in line with uh trying to do it with bow so do you remember uh shooting that deer in the moment or did you get the blackout buck fever no no i remember it came in with a whole pile of does i i didn't see i seen the does coming in. i wasn't going to shoot a doe so i was letting them come by me and there were they were about probably five yards from the base of my stand and there was I think there was seven or nine does there's an odd number but I think it was like seven does that all come through and then he was the last deer and also I looked down he's right underneath me you know five yards away and then uh I was able to draw on him with all them deer there I still don't because I was in an old wooden ladder stand it was like 12 foot off the ground and I still don't know how it all came about you know where I got drawn with eight deer standing, you know, within 10 yards, 10, 12 yards from my stand. I think he was probably at 10 yards when I shot him. And, and yeah, I remember, remember that. My fletching sticking out just barely. And, yeah, he wheeled around and cracked them off. Yeah, I remember the whole thing. It was, it was pretty exciting, that's for sure. Yeah, you never forget the first couple, especially the first buck. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. So what age were you when you started uh, deciding to pursue a little bit bigger animals? Um, Yeah, it's probably when I was maybe, I think it was like when I was 20, 19 or 20, I, I went on a, um, a bear hunt with uh, a couple of my buddies in Ontario. And that was, uh, that was fun. We both shot bears right away and uh, just fished the rest of the week. And then after that, I think we went out of state every year after that. Started in Missouri. Didn't didn't have any luck killing anything there, but we had good encounters. And then uh, I think I did that until my honeymoon. I went out west with my wife for our honeymoon. And then uh, I, sh- I shot a nice uh, velvet deer in, my, uh, in Wyoming uh, for our honeymoon. So. I'm, I might get you in trouble here if you don't know the date, but what year was that? That was 2011. Oh, you pass. Your wife will be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just had our, our anniversary we in August. So, yeah, it was, it was relatively recently, so yeah. 10 years. 10 years. So, well, yeah. c- congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So when you first started going after bigger deer, either in Michigan or out of state, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had, and how did you get over those hurdles to start finding success? Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a lot of challenges. I, I still, uh, even when I started going out of state, you'd look back on what little I knew about, I don't know what, how to describe it, but like how to, yeah, essentially pinpoint different areas to set up on deer with wind and thermals. There, there was none of that. I mean, I'd play the wind a little bit while I was there, but like, yeah, I remember some access routes. I got busted by a real nice buck because he, you know, come down. I, I walked in on a trail that he ended up taking, you know, to get to me and he smelled me and took off. And there's just all kinds of instances like that where it's like, man, you look back on it and it's like, well, if I set up on this side of the ridge, I mean, 
that thing would have been well within range of me, you know, for a buck that I had seen at a hundred yards or whatever. He was on the leeward side or, you know, skirting the, the hard edge cover type deal, you know, going from CRP to, to some woods, you know, and, and, you know, I was set up well inside the woods and just took the edge, that type of thing, you know. Okay. Well, we, we got time. Let's dive into some of the details. So you mentioned a few there, uh, the cover starting to pay attention to the thermals. So some of those things that maybe cost you dear early on, what are you looking for now? Um, so those are some of the mistakes you made, but if you're going to a new spot now, either out of state or in Michigan, what are you really paying attention to? What's important to you these days to find a, a good setup? Yeah, these days, uh, me, myself, I'm, I'm kind of looking for, well, I'm going for depending on what time of the year it is for on some of these early hunts. We're going out west again this uh, two weeks from now. And so you're, you know, I'm kind of focusing on different things. Then, but Are you going to Wyoming? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk about, because uh, I know you have a lot of experience there. You've hunted there, what, well, you said 10 years now or not, maybe not every year, but a lot of that's been early season, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yep, and I've, I've bounced around a bit out there. So what's your strategy in Wyoming for early season? What what are you looking for, and what do your setups look like? Well, you always keep an eye on water, um, or I do. Kind of check some water holes out. If it's hot, um, that's always always a pretty good bet. Any type of green fields is always always a good draw out there to get, the, get some deer, at least get visuals on what, what you could be looking at. Let me interrupt you for one second. If people are listening from the Midwest, green fields might sound like a ridiculous suggestion, but, yeah. but, but living out here and especially this year. So you haven't been out here. I'm assuming to, to the no. West this year It is exceptionally dry and even the green fields are getting brown and there's very little water. So, so those are two real good tips right off the bat. And I didn't want to interrupt you, but I want to mention that. So continue. No, that's yeah, that's all right. Some of those fields can be can be pretty good some draws going down in there and uh kind of yeah eventually you just have to cut the deer off you know before they make it there Hunt, hunting them when they're out there already is kind of pointless because uh, they they just feed they'll feed for for quite a while you know well before dark usually so those those two things but if you don't have any green fields like if it's all um you know kind of some hills or or mountainous more or less i mean if you're targeting whitetails out there you're not necessarily in mountains i guess you'd say but uh well yeah then then uh we've had good years with uh early acorn drop out there and uh if you can find some acorns that are falling i mean that's a gold mine there if you can if you can find it if they're dropping in september and then you know kind of for for map scouting i guess you know you're looking at some ridges and finger ridges of where they could be bedding but it's pretty much all related to food and water at that time of the year so if you got some of that type of stuff close then you can kind of start you know looking dissecting some more and trying to figure out where they would be coming from where you can intercept them as how as how i kind of look at it yeah and that area of wyoming that you hunt that's uh for just a generic term hill country and then they're probably up high and then coming down low to feed or water is that correct yeah yep and and you can hunt them pretty high i mean it just depends on on what you like to do and if there is some 
you know, food available pretty close. Some of those deer live where they're feeding on, they're feeding on browse and, and acorns. So that, you know, that can be a little more difficult to, to pattern them, but, but, uh, but they're kind of, usually they're kind of doing the same thing over and over, you know, um, sure. in those areas, they, uh, they don't necessarily, you know, move off that pattern. It doesn't seem like until until you either bump them or, or you know, they get if they get your your scent too much, they might adjust their way to get to wherever they want to go. But they're probably still going to go there for a while, at least. At least that's what I've run into. Yeah, it's a little harder to spook them off out here than it is in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, I played cat and mouse with that that ten. Uh, I shot a velvet ten point out there. That was that was on. Uh, so that was not on public land, but, uh, that, uh, I played with him all week. I, I would get in the same draw with him and then he would come on the other side of the draw and then he would, I'd hunt over there and then he'd come on the side I was hunting on and then he'd come over the top of the hill. And eventually the last night I was able to hunt. I, uh, I walked out to, let's see, how did I do that? I walked out to one of my previous spots in the main draw. He had been coming out. And I think I even left my jacket on a fence post out there. I either did that the night I killed him or the, the next night because those deer were watching me set up, or that's what I figured they were doing because they would always adjust. And so I walked out to the, the original tree stand. I figured they watched me walk there, and then I let them. If they were watching me or if they had um, a lot of times, I could see them move back up the hill when I would get close, like they were that close. I'd move them back and then they'd come out just before dark to get to the field yet, but they just adjust. So then I, I walked straight across like the, there was a fence gap there and I walked across there and got up on the next ridge over because I figured he would come down the other side to get my wind or whatever. And he came down the spine of that ridge about 45 minutes before dark and I was just off of it and I shot him at 17 yards, avoiding my, avoiding where I, he thought I was, you know. Right. But yeah, sometimes I guess you got to be a little creative, but that was a particular situation where that buck was, you know, I couldn't hardly screw him up. He was betting uh, in this one particular draw and, and just coming up every night and uh, do it, just doing something a little different, but he, he needed to get to that field and he was betting in that particular draw. So, right. Well, so we talked about Wyoming early season. Two questions. Have you hunted Wyoming later in the year or mostly early season? I gun hunted there one year what is it, in November then, November 1st. That was a little more difficult. There's a lot of people out there at that time. So better luck early season for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like it. There's there's definitely struggles in early season. I did end up shooting, shooting a buck with my rifle on the last day out there as well. But... um and we found, we, I mean, we found them too. On the last day, we found where where they weren't getting so much pressure, and we were in we were in box. If we would have found that early, we would have been done done really early too. So yeah. it's just kind of finding some deer that aren't pressured. I mean, a lot of it would be scouting too. We didn't, we weren't able to scout. We got there on the opening day. Well, we actually just slept in our car for like an hour and a half, and then started hunting as it got light out on opening day and we didn't scout at all so the first couple of days we were kind of moving around a lot and it was just running into people and and the deer had moved from where they where they like to hang out in the earlier season 
to November, they had moved a lot. There was snow on the ground and, and they're changed up. So threw me a bit of a curveball. That's one thing I've noticed out West, unlike Michigan, where there's a lot of deer and deer pretty much all over. seems like out here they're, they're more confined to pockets, but when you get in a good pocket, like you said, there might be a lot of bucks, but you might cover a lot of ground to find that pocket first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. But once you find them, it seems like there's, there's probably multiple, I mean, there can be at least, uh, I'm sure you can get into the single large box that try to avoid everyone else. But, but it seemed like out there, they were even almost more grouped up on like food sources and stuff in that time frame. Um, just cause it was so, we hit it kind of at a bad time too. It was really nasty weather for like cold and, and snow it should be rut out there you know in that general time frame a little it's actually a little early for their rut i believe in wyoming but um but man they were they're grouped up and on food are there's there's a couple private fields on opening day of rifle there was like 200 mule deer just always in these private green fields and i don't think more than five deer left that field the whole day there was huge bucks out there they just laid down in the middle of the field it's like they know oh yeah yeah and and we we watched them one time and the, the like the farmer i i don't know if they were hunting like maybe they it was a hunting operation i know that but i don't know if they were hunting with some maybe handicap i don't know they drove a truck right through the middle of all these mule deer and they were moving like 30 feet away from we never seen him shoot anything but i'm like <laughs> i'm like holy cow these uh it was just amazing how many mule deer there was and how little they cared about these uh the people around them. well we uh we talked about early season in wyoming what about michigan or other areas that you're traveling to let's say pre-rut and rut what are your favorite tactics there um i've, I've had some pretty decent success in in michigan here early season um two years ago it was was actually when the hunting public was in michigan for their public land challenge but we have a spot we hunt in northern michigan as well and i was up there that weekend hunting i don't i don't think it was anywhere i don't know where they hunted but you know it was just same northern michigan same type of looking stuff and I had a couple of trail cameras that I had soaking on some acorns I found that were the acorns were still in the trees at the time, but they had just started to drop when I set the cameras. And I got out of work at noon on Friday and I went up there and I set a stand near one of my trail cameras. I didn't check it yet. I just set the stand and hunted. And um I had a big like a two year old wide six point, like fifteen inches wide, sixteen inches wide when I come by I grunted him in and he came right in and oh yeah I gotta shoot this up up north right. and so so I shot him and it was fun I was by myself it was it was pretty fun and, and then I called my buddy and he was on his way to his cabin up north and and so he swung in and helped me get it out it was pretty fun but I went to check that trail camera and it was stolen so I was kind of glad I I got a deer and got out of there. It really, you know, I I don't know if there's other people in. Obviously, someone had been in there, but sure to steal my camera. But uh, but yeah, I considered that one kind of lucky because I thought it was going to be like a little bit of an undiscovered spot, but obviously people had found that transition line also in the camera. So 
got that deer out of there. And then I spent the next day, I was going to leave mid morning, come back home because I had that deer. And I scouted one other spot and I think I could have killed a buck there. I jumped one and then one stood up in, in some uh, real thick brush and, and just walked off. And I'm pretty sure I could have, I could have killed one there. And I was like, I was debating whether to stay and try to sh- um, hunt or go home. I had one more trail camera to check, so I went around, checked that camera, and I had four, like, nice bucks out of there. And, uh, like, not nice for northern Michigan, you know. Like. Sure. No, I understand. Coming, living in Michigan, I know what you mean when you say nice buck. <laughs> so, so and, and it was shredded. Every Everything on the way to the camera was just shredded. There were acorns dropping, tons of rubs in there. I called my wife. I said, hey. I said I was coming home, but I got to hunt <laughs> one more night. I sure. said, I'll, I, I'll have everything. I loaded the deer. I had all my camp stuff. Everything was in the back of the truck, and I hunted that night. And I shot a coyote. A coyote came in. I shot that. I went down, and I'm like, I'll never find my arrow in the gutter. So I went down, grabbed my arrow, got back up into the stand, clipped into my safety harness, turned around, and there was uh, one of the eight points I had on camera was that. Um, 35 yards walking no way. right in. I, I didn't even have my bow in my, like, nothing. I mean, I just clipped on. So I, I ranged him, grabbed my bow, and I shot him. And then I hit him, I just looked like back along. And, uh, he, but he, he went out and he hunched up. And all of a sudden, he just took off, like, full sprint. And I'm like, oh boy, I don't know, that looked weird. And he had stood there for like 30 seconds. And he just huh. sprinted away. I never had him do that. So I called my buddies, and they're like, oh, you got to back out. And I'm like, ah, you know, not planning on this spot because <laughs> it was sure. Saturday night at this point. So I looked for blood. It started raining. So I'm like, this is worst-case scenario. I called the dog tracker, uh, and he said, because I didn't have real good blood. Where he stood, there was a bit of blood there. But when he sprinted off, it was just washing away as fast as I could look for it. But he said, oh, yeah. He said, it looks, sounds all right, but you got to wait till morning. So, oh boy. And I called my wife and I said, well, now I got to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, my dad and my uh, brother-in-law and then my two buddies, actually, they drove up supper. They all met me up north uh, the next morning and, and we went and looked for it. And, and my two, my two buddies, their brothers, they, they were going to go one way. I was going the other. I went into the thicket where he had bedded and where he came out of. I walked in there, I'm like, there is no way. It was just so thick. And often I hear, oh, there he is. They walked about like 300 yards and directly to the deer somehow. Nice. Just on, on, on a circle pattern. But, yeah, he was. He had uh, went right back to his bed and his rubs all over the place. Where was the shot? Where did you end up hitting him? Um, back in the lungs and liver. It was pretty much straight through the liver, and I probably caught a lung. Um, okay. And so it was probably a good thing I let him sit, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was dead in the, in the side. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of an acorn, acorn deal and, uh, and just fresh sign. Were those white, white or reds up there? That was, uh, white oaks that were dropping at, at that time. Okay. Yeah. And, and there is a lot of red oaks, but if you can find some of those isolated white, white oaks, it seems like that's what they kind of, you know, until they're gone, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. So I I grew up and hunted a lot around uh, East Central Michigan, and that's kind of where you start losing more of the whites and getting more reds. There's still whites around and, and even north of there, but that's why I was asking because I know they thin out pretty good as you get north. So acorns and then any any other preferred early season tactics? Yeah, acorns and then a lot of times it, it is just trying to find some fresh sign. I know Dan talked about the foxwood as well, so yeah, probably a lot of people have heard, you know, know, know this. I'm sure I've learned it pretty much from him, but, you know, finding that that fresh sign early in the season is like that is it's really key because the deer aren't making a lot of sign before that you know there's when you're finding sign that early in the season it's not going to be two three four weeks old as as easily as when you're finding it in november and you could be seeing rubs that are from october 1st or whatever so a lot a lot of a lot of times if you're finding real fresh sign it's now yeah i agree with that completely and and to go a little further, I'd say, and it's kind of self-evident, but it's harder to find the sign early oh, yeah. because yeah. like you said, there isn't as much yet, but when you do find it, that's a really good sign that you're, you're in the right area. Yeah. That, that second buck in that Northern Michigan spot. Um, when I set my tree stand, I think I counted like 15 routes from, from where I set my stand. You were in the core area then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a good little spot. It's kind of, yeah, dried up now as everything changes. You know, there's there's another tree stand. That buck actually, I, I say that there there was another tree stand at the time when I shot it. I'd never seen it because I just went in with my stand on my back. You know, I don't I don't walk around and make sure there's no stands. You know, within eighty yards of me or whatever. Sure, you'd never hunt in Michigan if you did that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd be walking for a long time. But yeah, it was actually one of my buddies that found that deer when we were pulling it out. He goes, "Hey, look at there's a tree stand right there." And he goes, "Did you know that was there?" I said, no, it was actually, yeah, it was kind of where that title came from. Uh, you know, it's probably eighty yards from where it set up. And I said, "No, I had never seen it." And because we had noted when we first found that deer, he's like, what the heck? It looks like a broadhead skimmed the thing's chest. And there was like a cut hair for sure. Something cut it, but it had to have been, I mean, it was a clean slice right across the thing's brisket where it literally just cut a notch of hair out of his chest. So we only can figure, because I had that deer on trail camera like a day before October 1st. And this was like October 6th, I think, is when I shot him. And so in that time frame, that stand had definitely been hunted from like opening day on. So we we can only assume that he had shot at that buck and just cut his hair. But, mm. but it definitely looked like uh, a broadhead had grazed him. And that was only six days into the season. <laughs> yeah, it's a war zone out there. It, it is. It gets pretty bad. But I mean, you can just kind of try to avoid some of that, but. That goes to show, and we talked about it in Wyoming, and I think it's true in Michigan, maybe to a lesser extent, but I still think it's true. It's hard to bump a buck out of its area the first time. So even uh, getting shot at with a stand 80 yards away, like that deer was still in that area. Yeah, yeah. He, he was coming out of a, like, because I, I believe we found him in his, uh, were, were really his core, like, bedding area, because there was, there was good-sized rubs all through there where he had died. And, uh, 
and yeah, it was it was perfect. I mean, he was kind of a little bit of a, a ridge, um, like a secondary ridge, but it was a it was a thicket, and uh, and they were living in there. And he must have. He, I assume he came out for acorns when probably the time he got shot at beforehand too, just doing the same thing, kind of pulling out. That was their main food source right right there. It was like 300, yeah, probably 200 yards from the side where you could get into acorns. Yeah, and like you said, those white acorns early season can be such a draw. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's move into the, the pre-rut and rut. What's your preferred approach there? When it gets kind of mid, mid-October and into later October, I a lot of times it's kind of the time of the year where I am hunting closer to home and uh, a lot of times then it's just trying to get close to where where you think they could be betting and uh, you know trying to find fresh sign is always helpful but a lot of the stuff now that I hunt around closer to home because I'm not making my out-of-state trip yet are just hammered with with you know hunting pressure too so like the the public land closer to home here is so I feel that it's so pressured. Like even if you're finding sign, so you either find a real hot sign, or the tracks can be helpful. Trying to find a big set of tracks, but the uh, scrapes, you know, trying to trying to intercept them. But and even the scrapes, it's a lot of nighttime activity on that. So so yeah, it it is kind of a little bit of a, a lull until you get into later October when they start moving around for, for some does. But I've had good hunts, but it's fewer and far between for me. Like yeah, a lot of times it's just trying to find the, the freshest sunny. And yet you know, mid October that time frame, it's it's probably pretty much on uh, on trying to find some fresh sign and it's also time where I'm, I'm moving around i'm trying to explore some new areas me and a, a couple buddies of mine do a lot of public land hunting and we're always just trying to find new areas and, and a lot of times you're just walking with your stand on your back until you find something decent a couple times me and a, me and the one of my buddies we would walk full loops in public land and then come back out and you know, get back in the truck. <laughs> There's nothing there, you know, so. That's an important point, important point though. And I think you learn that as you get more experience and you get older is don't waste your time, right? If, if you're going to walk through an area and there's nothing worth hunting, don't hunt there. Yeah, I definitely learned that in the past couple of years, like, like probably the past two years really. Cause I would, I, that's one of the, the big things that I'm trying to still pound into my, my brain is to, uh, like Dan says, every hunt he sits, he is 100% confident he's going to kill a big buck. I used to have that all the time where I would hunt, and I would not be confident at all that I was going to kill a deer. I'd be like, well, I did all this work, and I got set up, and I'm sweating my butt off, but this is definitely not a premium setup of maybe something will come by or maybe I'll see something where I can readjust. The past couple of years I've really been really been trying to to adjust my setups right away so I can uh, you know feel confident right away that I'm in a place I will will be able to kill a deer if it comes in. And if not I will tear down my set and and redo it, you know, put it in a different tree, adjust, go another 50, 60, or whatever you got to do. Yeah, it can be brutal when it's hot or when you're getting hot or frustrated. 
that will be the last thing you want to do at that time. Right. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, I think that is important, especially if you're hunting like a run and gun, like a public land deal. And then, uh, for, for rut, rut wise, yeah, a lot of times I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, maybe key in on some leeward facing hillsides, that type of thing, but also kind of your transition or, or try to, try to figure out where the, where the does are. And, uh, seems like if you find, if you find those, uh, family groups or those pockets of does, they, uh, there's going to be a good chance there's a buck, buck in the area. Find some big sign in that area or big tracks. And then, you know, it's usually what you're looking for, the scrapes and, and even some of those rubs, they're going to dry up when they're rubbing hard. So, so a lot of times that might not be your best bet to, to be looking at that kind of sign. It seems like, in my experience anyways, when the rut really gets cranking, a lot of the sign dries up during that period. And then, like you said, you're better off just looking for does. But, I mean, last year, you know, a few buddies did a hunt and we found a, um, right away, we found some, a lot of rubs in a small area and it was not far from, from the, the road, road access, and a little piece of public. And, uh, my one buddy set up on their head up, probably the hunt of his, one of the, one of the top hunts of his lifetime and shot a really nice buck, uh, right off of that. And that was, that was basically keying in on all those rubs. So, you know, if there's a real, con, uh, <laughs> you know, constant pocket of, of sign, probably, means that they spend a lot of time in that area you know yeah one of those overlooked spots the hard to come by unicorn spots huh yeah that that was probably one of those it was i don't know if it was so obvious that it was people thought it was silly or what but uh i i would have to imagine there was plenty of people that seen that sign didn't do anything about it because by the sound of it, it was pretty wild in there. So, well, yeah, the the deer are obviously in the center of the woods. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. It's that in there. Yeah, what's that saying? That the deer are where they are, not where you want them to be. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit, Jake. You, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is you actually film for Midwest Whitetail, and it's a Great Lake show for a while, correct? Yeah, yeah, the, the Great Lakes was, yeah, kind of the division of, of the local, the more, yeah, local division of what I was, what I was doing, how they divided it, I should say. Yep, yep. Okay, and then how'd you first get involved with that? I just, uh, I was filming a bit for myself I um, with a buddy, and then we, we got on Michigan Whitetail Pursuit for, for a year. I, I ended up staying on. Um, on with them while I was on Midwest Whitetail for a number of years, and and they used my hunts also. But I I just I submitted some video to Midwest Whitetail, and I got on a I forget what they call it. It's like a de- uh, developmentary staff or whatever. Okay. So and then I I think one year I, I filmed a few decent hunts on <clears throat> on that, or we did me and me and Dustin uh, my a guy I filmed with, my buddy, and they bumped us up to uh, pro staff or whatever they call it. it is, it's called pro staff or whatever. And uh, and so, yeah, uh, I was on there for a number of years, probably, I think, probably eight or nine years, I think. And, and I had some good, 
some good humps that, that panned out really good on, on video. Yeah, so wanted to talk about that. I know one of your most popular hunts, and that's still on YouTube and Midwest Whitetail, I believe, was a pretty interesting uh, story. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that? How Start with why you decided to hunt that location and kind of describe the setup and then uh, tell us what happened. It was probably the double that I, I shot two bucks in one morning. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, that, that is one of the more popular ones on Midwest Whitetail. But um, we, we were down by our lease, and that was uh, my hunting partner's lease. I was subbed on to that or, or leased from them. And uh, Southern Michigan, and we were hunting down a finger, kind of because the wind was wrong for a lot of the spots we had confidence in. But this spot was it was good. It's a good spot. It's kind of a a, a go to. There's a permanent stand there. And uh, when you say finger, was that like a, a ridge or a point of woods jutted into a field or a swamp? Yeah, this is all like dead flat ground. It's just flat farmland. And uh, this finger of woods connects a little um little like plot of woods i guess you could say maybe i don't i don't even know 40 50 acres of woods and then it's just a, a kind of a, a one strip of woods that goes all the way from there to the road to another bigger section of woods <clears throat> on the other side of the road and um the farmer at that time kind of let his, his crops go a bit you can see that on video if you do end up watching it that there's a lot of foxtail and things in that in that cornfield and we went down there just because it's a good transition. But once we got down there, there was acorns dropping there. I don't know if that's why they uh, eventually did come into us. We did hear them tickling like antler in the morning. We could hear them, you know, fighting. But, I mean, barely. Like, you'd listen real hard and be like, that's got to be tines, that type of thing. One of those things where you're like, is that my imagination? Yeah. Or is that yeah. really happening? What time of year was this? What what uh, What was the date? It was probably October 5th, I think. Okay, early season. And it was like uh, probably 80 degrees out. It never cooled down even at night. I think it was like 75 the whole night. So we were in basically like long sleeve t-shirts, you know, up there in the tree. But yeah, so we heard that and we grunted uh, when we heard that um that little bit of tickling of the antlers. And then uh, it was probably 10 minutes later, we could hear one walking our way. So I don't know if they were coming just to transition just to go through that area to get acorns or if we, you know, if they're curious and decided to make their way in. But the first one was like a clean, uh, it's like a nine point, I believe. It's kind of got that, but nine points like an inch or whatever. But uh, he came in and gave me a. 17, 18 yard shot, double lunged him. And as he, he did a half circle and went back the way he came from, and as he's running, you can see just on the bottom of the video, he kicks the deer that's behind him, which was a, a much larger. He doesn't score much more, but uh, it's an old deer. He's got like six and a half inch base. It's just a real gnarly nine, ten point, nine or ten again with some small cheaters and stuff on it but he comes to the exact same spot the first one came and my buddy filming he had filmed that buck 
many times throughout the summer and had tons of pictures of it. He goes, that's the deer I'm after. And so we actually switched. I gave him the bull and I took the camera up there. But as we're doing this, you know, he has no release. So it's like, no, it ain't going to work. That bull, like, made sure it was the rate that I filled both my tags here. This is all happening in 30 seconds. I, I think from shot to shot, I think it's like 36 seconds. And so uh, he gave me the green light and I just ripped back and that deer is on the move to leave. And I shot him and, and went right through his front leg bone into the neck, into the offside leg bone and, and he takes off. And then we lose it, you know, we're <laughs> real excited for a while. Yeah, sure. We actually let him sit for a couple hours. We weren't sure on that second shot. We didn't want to bump. We knew the first one was dead. It, it was perfect. Uh, um, yep. Second one, it looked like it was, it was hard to tell if I, I went straight shoulder or if I went through that shoulder and hit the offside shoulder because the arrow is sticking out like you know, half a way, whatever. And uh, when he took off running. And we go back in there and I, I track the first one. And I, when I find it, I can see the belly as I'm running up to it of the second one, about five feet behind the first one. They died about That's five crazy. feet apart. Yeah. So the whole thing is just, it's just the craziest circumstances. And if you don't really, there's no cuts in that, that video, no nothing there. I mean, it's, it's how it happened. 30 some odd seconds apart and they die right next to each other. It, it was just bizarre. But, uh, so <laughs> somebody watched that YouTube video. I don't know who it was, like just some random person, and put it on uh, like a this like uh, let them grow, let them grow thing at, on on Facebook uh, here in Michigan. Yeah, and uh, that's just a side story, but people were just pissed because I shot, I filled both my tags in early <laughs> October, but but they were saying that going back to the haters, right? Yeah, yeah, I had to quick touch on this because they were saying that second one, and they're like, oh, first one beautiful block second one he shouldn't let go and that second one that it was aged by the you know the, my taxidermist just just by rough tooth age not no uh the slenny mating or whatever right but it was like it was two years old or whatever so if the, the first one was three and a half it was five he said it was either the first one was either two and a half to three and a half and the second one was three and a half to four or it was four and a half and five and three, you know, three. So right. there's two years difference in the second one. So the people that were shredding this, you know, deer saying they should have passed the second one, it just kind of shows that really, I don't necessarily know what you're talking about if you're saying you got to pass the older deer, you know, because yeah. <laughs> they, they're saying it's smaller and younger. But, uh, but yeah, so it was funny. They got it. It riled up all kinds of people. So I wasn't even part of that. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get on and and, and look at the story to see what what all the post was about. But but they had taken it down. It got too heated. They took it down. So. I actually had a, a deer biologist on from Penn State in one of my earlier episodes, and I asked him about you know any tips to age deer. I thought a biologist might know, and he basically mm-hmm. and he basically said. You can tell a year old buck and maybe a two year old buck, and after that, he's like, even as a biologist, he's like, you're you're guessing. After that, yep. Yep. I I totally I totally 100 percent agree because uh, yeah, I I find a lot of times you know people are guessing on age, and it's it's like, man, who knows? You know, 
sure. it's hard to tell from there's so many variables that I just don't understand how you can check on that, you know, from diet to size. I had one and I only had an abscess on his teeth, uh, in his jaw, it went down into his jaw and his whole one side was toast, you know, like just flattened right out. But it's, it's hard to say. I had the, the last year I had, we were having our bucks done by, um, one of the aging companies that cut them. Yeah, like Matson Labs or something. Yeah, yeah. So we we had them done by that. Yeah, I've read, and, and I don't know for a fact, but I've read that some like control samples where you know bucks were raised from fawns to certain age were sent in, and like a blind study to the labs, and even those aren't a hundred percent accurate. No, I read, uh, I think even maybe right off their website, they're, they say they're like 80% accurate or sick or 70 or something. It's not even that great. You yeah. know, it's cutting them. So, so yeah, you got to take it with a grain of salt, I think. Yeah, like you said, a lot of variables. Yep, yep. Try to try to judge on, on body size and, you know, go from there, I guess. Like for uh, live, live judging them. So you're you know, if you don't want to shoot a two-year-old, right. you don't shoot a, 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 a lean, a lean buck. You know, but uh, but yeah, I don't worry about that too much myself. But no, I don't either. Get, Gets you excited to shoot going. it. <laughs> they get me going. I shoot. Right, right. So uh, on the filming, trying to do a little more filming myself. So I'd be interested to hear what are some of your tips or lessons learned from filming. I believe you you had a cameraman sometime and you self film so. Let's focus on mostly on self-filming here. What have you learned or what are some of your, you know, tips or best practices on that? Yeah, I, I did a lot of, of filming for my hunting buddies too and, and stuff like that. But self-filming, when I was on Midwest White Seal, like Zach, Greg, and Aaron were on staff at Midwest White Seal. Yeah. And so when we would go out there, they, they taught me basically most of the the, to make it look good they taught me all that and i believe they actually have videos out on on filming so they, they are definitely good resources because i am just regurgitating what they told me so, oh, hey, <laughs> so appreciate, I, appreciate I, your honesty <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not coming up with this stuff but uh but yeah just um getting it set up on the uh on the right side so if you're a right-hand shooter you know you want your camera on the right side so you can have it on your release hand so you're not trying to Swap your bow for getting a uh, controller. I've never, I never had one for self filming, but a few of my buddies have a, a controller that controls your zoom and your focus right on your hand. It's very nice if you can swing that. It's yeah. helpful. So for people that are listening, I believe you're talking. I mean, this is a brand name, but like a Vera Zoom, where yeah, yeah, the the one my buddy has there. Yep. Yeah, the controller mounts on the end of your fluid ahead to handle that way you don't have to reach to the camera and you can control what you just said but zoom and focus off those right or start and stop your recording too yep start stop and zoom focus yeah they're pretty simple or you can get them pretty simple and uh very handy even when you're filming uh, other people i mean it's nice you're not having a hand right on the camera and then uh yeah trying trying to get get to where you can get a little b-roll uh b-roll or cutaways it depends on what they call them but everything before the shot so they just want you to film everything uh, like an editor is just the more 
footage you have of a particular hunt, the, the better it's going to be, even if you think it's not going to be, uh, you know, if you think it's not going to be important, it's still, you know, get the film, you know, and get a lot of shots of, of general area, you know, scenery, that type of thing. Because when, if you're doing any type of interview, that kind of thing, editor is just going to play that over you're talking so you're not just talking right into the camera a lot of times so. yeah and that's a good point and you see that in a lot of hunting videos where that's something that really makes a difference and we'll say case a you've got a guy that talks to the camera just on his face for two minutes and that you know people get bored of that but b let's say video b you got 10 seconds of talking and then you continue to talk but it cuts to b-roll and it's you know birds or other deer the landscape whatever and I think just that visual change keeps people a lot more interested. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, you know, they always preach, uh, before, before moving the camera, you kind of, you want to give it three, four seconds of, of just record time so they can cut it. They can edit and they can cut it and make it all flow. So you're not going right into a pan or right into a, any of your scenery shots kind of helps and editing. A, a huge key for anyone that's filming themselves and doing it all themselves is learn how to edit well because I do not know how to do that and and if you can edit well and be proficient at it I think that's a bigger step or, or farther ahead than than being a, a proficient filmer I mean yeah you can you can kind of screw some stuff up but if you can make it look good in editing I mean that's that's a ticket that's where the magic happens I scabbed together a few of those videos I have on my YouTube channel, and, and that is uh, that is about all I can I can do. So <laughs> no, they make it look good when you send it away. Yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, another thing I thought of too today is like thirds. They always want uh, when a deer's moving. I and once you kind of learn some of this stuff and, and realize what's going on, you pick it out in other videos and stuff, but keeping that animal in the in the back third of, of what you're filming. So if you're looking at your screen, it's always, there's essentially two-thirds in front of the animal. So if he starts jogging or if, if you have to stop for a second, he can walk, continue to walk in frame. If you have him in the middle or you're, you're constantly following him or the, whatever animal you're following, you're, you're you're going to lose, you're going to lose the, the shots, you know, easier or whatever. Sure, they, that makes sense. They always kind of gritted off of, you know, when they're doing their classes, they, they grit off the screen and show you where they like it. Okay. That, that, thing, that definitely helps and it, that uh, makes it look a little cleaner when, when you're not, when some of the deer walks out and you jump off ahead and try to get them back in there. And then what about transporting your gear to and from the tree? I always, um, took a just a general backpack for if i had a, a, a stand already set that i was going to go to some of my private pieces i hung around here i have stands uh, in general areas that are always consistently pretty good so yeah got your camera arm and base on the backpack itself i had a backpack that would fit that one right in there and then i have my camera in the case inside the backpack as well and and get that all set up when you get out there. But uh, as we were talking about the other night, it's the technology, I guess you'd say, the, the stuff they have out now is 
months of hearing what I had. I had a, a pretty big uh, woody bass in the lung, and it just got heavy and and uh, uh, cumbersome. And you can definitely get burned out with it. And that that kind of goes back to filming cutaways and B-roll. Eventually, you'll get sick of doing that every time. And the time you don't do it, the time you'll shoot a shoot sure. a block and not have anything. And uh, and I trust me, I've tried to on my own videos try to add stuff. You cannot add stuff from other days. It's, uh, you end up taking it all. You can't match conditions and lighting, and everything has to be sequential. And that if you you know film an interview and it's a certain uh, dimness out and then all of a sudden it goes bright to dim again uh, you know that, that giveaway you're just adding stuff at that point so no that's a good good tip there and uh, it's kind of like when you forget your knife that's the day you shoot a deer too yeah yeah yep exactly so yeah i you know when i was when i was doing it and having good videos that would, uh that i was able to make it is when you make a conscious effort to to really just go over the top and film as much and they definitely turn out the best. Yeah, and we talked talked about that a little bit in our uh, pre conversation. Is it's important to have a plan, even if it's not the greatest plan. But how you're going to film, like you said, your your initial footage, your intro, your B roll, the hunt, your after. I've noticed a lot. So this is just lessons I've learned on my own in the past years. Uh, I always forget to film stuff afterwards too. So there's like you need some sort of conclusion to your video, and that's easy to forget. Yeah, definitely. I've done the whole uh, garage interview at, you know, two hours later, plenty of times where it's like, yeah, so we got the deer and it's got it out and hung up already. And here's the deer, you know, you just forget, you get into, you know, kind of forgettable things and, and uh, yeah. Get excited or taking care of it. And then next thing you know, yep, you're at home. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, all that stuff comes into play when you're when you're trying to make a, a decent production. But, and I, and kind of to go along with that is is if you're you're wanting to do filming and and, and that type of stuff, I, I would encourage just the, like the YouTube channel. Get good at producing and you do a YouTube channel. There, you, everyone thinks like. Or everyone used to. I don't know how it is anymore, but but like getting on pro staff and stuff like that, and it's, you're doing it to get your content out, and that's the only benefit of it. You'd have I'd have people be like, "Oh well, I got these deer on trail camera, but you know, they're nothing compared to yours." I'm sure because you're on Midwest Whitetail, so you hunt all these good spots. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you, you know. I got ten acres that I hunt, you know, like, and and I got five you know, uh, bloody blinds from the neighbors that, you know, are bordering every corner of this piece, you know, sure. it's just, you're benefiting, you're, you're getting some, you're getting some, you know, discounts on certain stuff, uh, you know, depending on what pro step you're on, but you wait for the right time of the year, you're getting that same discount. I'm, it's like you're doing it to get your content. out is what I'm trying to say. Sure, so sure. if you do want your content on, on a, on a big channel, on a decent sized channel or something, yeah, you can, you can go for it. But if you're thinking you're going to get paid or anything or get gear, anything like that, probably not going to happen unless you're paying them for it. So yeah. Yeah. Just cause you're on Midwest whitetail doesn't mean you're best friends with Bill Winky. Yeah. 
Ah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it kind of burned me out on that. Eventually, why I got pretty much got out of filming and got out of that. I we when I would go to Wyoming, that was my vacation for the year, and I uh, that nine point I have on on my YouTube channel. I it's one of the best total films that I got. It it just pours, you know, like you get a good blood trail of as it's running away. It was self film, but it was it was it was pretty sweet. It's got my it's viewed way more times than my double buck on my YouTube channel. So. Yeah, I watched the the video the other night of the Wyoming. That's a good hunt. Yeah, that that's one of my favorites. But when I shot that one, I messaged uh, use an intern on Midwest Way till I was doing our uh, editing and messing. I got got one down. It's self filmed, and they were, they were really big against which that's part of it. They were really big against self filming at that time, but the, they they have ch- since changed, is what I understand. But uh, at that time, it was big against self filming, so he was probably kind of turned off by that. But then I said, uh, he said, "What about your dad?" And I said, "Well." my dad doesn't want me to film. He's just enjoying the weekend or whatever. So he's just going to hunt and I'm going to scout for him. And he said, he goes, well, I don't know, but that's your job. You need to do that. That's your job. <laughs> and that's kind of what turned me up. I'm like, my job. Right. I'm, I'm on vacation. Yeah. I'm on, I'm using my time. You know, not, I literally gained nothing out of this except, you know, get to show my video on your channel but it's definitely not my job so yeah that was about the time we said ah, i'm i'm good yeah so what about uh what about going forward i know that you have kids these days and you're probably busier than ever but you got any plans to film again in the future or, or are you burned out for life yeah no i i once once you do it and once you get some good good kills on video it's it's awesome because you can watch them back it's, it's fun to have them for those memories and and you know, they don't go away. And, uh, and so I definitely, especially with the kids growing up, I'll definitely film again with them and, and hopefully maybe I put more on my YouTube channel or, or what have you. I have, I have a pile of videos too that I should edit up that are good. That would go, go well on there. It's just time to it. Well, we're talking about YouTube and your channel. If you want, go ahead and plug it. What's the name of your channel? It is, uh, we watch, um drop it's kind of an odd name but uh, it's like uh yeah the um drop is kind of what throws you off but it's we watch them drop so that's so with just em instead of t-h-e-m yeah okay yep, yep. no and uh any, anybody that's listening i watched the videos and like said that the two bucks in the morning and the wyoming hunt especially are are really good so i enjoyed those yeah yeah those, those are kind of the better ones on there um like i said i got I got a couple of them. I got a, there's a tall brow 10 point I shot in Wyoming as well. That's on Midwest Whitefield, but it's it kind of, a, I, I should edit that up too. It's a, he drops, he drops a bit and drops my string, but they, they kind of did the, the point and then the slow motion where, where my arrow impact is. And you can see how much the deer drops on that video. Yeah. Cause they leave the point on there. And it's, it's kind of amazing to see what they, what they do. But yeah, any of them, uh, any of the other videos, you can just like search Jake Smalllink, Midwest Whitetail, and they they all come up on Google or whatever. Yeah, and if anyone that's wondering, uh, last name is V O L L I N K, correct? Yeah. So, uh-huh. Yep, Jake Volink. So yeah, I I have a few 
few videos I should add on there. But then uh, as my kids get older, they actually, my two oldest, uh, they have a girl and boy that are seven and six. And uh, when my oldest, Sage, she shot a deer last year, and Jace did. Jace shot one with a crossbow um, in, in, during gun season, um, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And then and Sage shot one. She, she got, uh, you know, kind of let her brother outdo her. So um, <laughs> she ended up shooting one with a 350 um, in, in gun season. And that was, that was my two favorite hunts from last year by far and away. Oh, sure. Yeah. Getting your own kids out. Yeah. Yeah. So in Michigan has like a mentor program. <clears throat> and, uh, so I was, I was in the, in the blind with them, but, but yeah, they did awesome. It was, a, it was, it was a definitely an experience, but, uh, but this year we're going to, we're going to do it a little different. We're going to try some up North and, and, uh, Northern Michigan trying to, I, I, again, I kind of go back to some, some of what Dan says on the podcast. Cause I struggled with that. Well, like what, how do you get them out there? They showed interest in going. So, and, uh, and one of the spots I hunt, uh, during late season that, you can shoot a doe any 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 night they regard up there yeah and so that's that's where they they both shot those those deer and so but i am kind of on the bandwagon of that's not going to be what what goes on every year we're not just going to go you know one one day and and let you shoot one of the does that comes out or or a buck if it came out we're going to start hunting and and kind of going to start teaching them how to look for sign that type of thing try to make it more of an experience like i did when i was younger we, we'd go up for that youth season up north and man that remember it like it was yesterday oh it's good it's good to get the kids involved early but it's also good to teach them the the skills and the woodsmanship so when they're out there trying to do it on their own they're, they're equipped with those skills yeah again i i struggled as well when i was when i was younger and Dan talks about that too, just running to the woods and trying to, you know, get after anything he can, any anything he can find. I did that to a certain extent. I, I didn't have vast expanses, and and we tried to keep the deer, you know, kind of just running around. But right. but, but the struggle of trying to see deer and, and shoot my first deer. It took me a little bit, three years to shoot one with a bow, and 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 you know, I missed plenty of deer in that, that plenty of deer in that time. You know, yeah. just the struggles like that, that's, that's probably what hooks you really makes you have it. Yeah. If you're, if you're into that stuff, especially, uh, achievement and if it's not too easy, then I think, but, but it's still attainable then that, yeah. I think, yeah. I think accomplishing something like that's difficult, but not impossible is gets a lot of people interested. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, Hey Jake, we're running up on uh well, a little over an hour and 15 minutes here. So probably wrap it up for today i want to thank you for your time and all the knowledge that you shared today and i also want to tell you tell you good luck this fall and if you get any of those videos edited and posted let me know or or let people uh know on the forum so we can check those out as well yeah we'll do it thank you uh i appreciate it and uh yeah good luck to you as well all right man we'll catch you later and we'll be following along this fall sounds good thank you all right see ya yep bye